He was intimately familiar with clouds, high cirrus clouds wisping across the zenith, thick billowing cumulus, and deadly black thunderheads, squalls that could knock down a ship in minutes. These were black squalls. A prudent mariner would have taken one look at that unpredictable monster swarming up on the horizon, brought in the schooner Kestrel's big square topsail, and sent down its yard, stood by to reef the mainsail, and then turned tail and run. But Captain Connor Merrick was a Yankee privateer, and there, a mile away off the larboard bows, were the fat, bloated sails of a British merchantman, ripe for the picking. From across the water, rolling like the echoes of distant thunder, came the sound of guns as the big ship was attacked by the pirates, who had found her first. Your orders, Captain? Connor stood at the weather rail, watching the squall approaching off to windward. Already the sea was starting to grow restless, throwing scud up over the bows and great sheets of water sluicing through the scuppers and along the deck as the schooner shouldered each swell that paraded toward them. His every instinct told him to get the devil out of there. But there was the matter of that merchantman. He plucked a telescope from the rack and put it to his eye, steadying the instrument in the crook of his elbow with the ease of long practice. Into the spherical field swam the merchantman, bluff-bowed and tubby, wallowing in the seas, and far off, under her lee, a hostile coast, swarming with pirates that were loyal to no nation. Humph, Connor said, half to himself. His lieutenant, who was also his first cousin, raised a brow. Humph? Seems we have a choice to make, Nathan, he said, glancing yet again at the approaching squall. Yonder merchantman is flying British colors and trying to defend herself against a horde of pirates in small boats. She cannot, of course. They'll slaughter everyone aboard and then take the ship. So do we do the gallant thing and sweep into her rescue, or do the safe thing and hightail it out of here before the storm puts us on our beam ends? Humph, said Nathan, imitating his cousin. You never do the safe thing. Connor grinned and taking her as prize after saving her is certainly not the gallant thing, but it's what I intend to do. Fetch Toby, would you? I need him on deck. Moments later, Nathan's fourteen-year-old brother, red-haired, freckled, and eager to please the cousin and captain he idolized, was on deck. He took one look at the squall looming up on the weather horizon, the foam beginning to blow like chaff from off the waves, and paled. Toby, lad, I've a mind to outrun a storm as well as take a prize. Douse the galley fire, call the hands to quarters, and load up both broadsides with grape and chain. Already the wind was strengthening, beginning to gust ominously. Send down the kites and let's ease the main and fore a bit. Time to see what our wild black mare can do with her reins out to the buckle. It would be a hair-raising gallop indeed down onto the British merchantman, but Connor had a sharp crew, a fast ship, and the devil's own luck. Put the helm up, he said, and the chase was on. Pirates, said Alana Falconer Cox, as she and the young woman she was chaperoning were both frantically herded below deck. Alana, widowed fifteen months before, and only recently out of mourning clothes, was the younger sister of Sir Graham Falconer, the famous British admiral currently stationed in Barbados, the ultimate destination of the merchant ship Porpoise a destination that looked, at the moment, as though it would never be reached. 
Her companion listened to the footsteps pounding on the deck above, the frantic shouted orders of the captain and his officers, and the sudden report of gunfire from somewhere close. We're going to die, said Rhiannon Evans, who really wanted to see more of life than her mere 18 years had granted her.